We're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, brought to you by the fine folks over at, where else? Geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy this show, and I think you do, the best way to help us out is just spread the word. Uh, tell everybody that you enjoy listening to Geek in the City Radio on whatever social media platform you use, as well as giving us a five-star review on sites like iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Those reviews go much farther than you would ever imagine in helping us climb the metrics, which uh, just gets us more listeners, which just makes us a bigger and more nerdier family for everyone to enjoy, which we're going to do right now with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Welcome to issue 606 of Geek of the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Spinarita. And I'm your other, other host. He's not here yet. He said he's running <laughs> late. And to go ahead and start without him. <clears throat> but he, he will, will be here. He will be here. Yes. By hook you know. or by crook. I always like that phrase. And I'm terrified that it's going to end up being something horribly racist. Uh, they always do. What exactly? What exactly does that mean? Like, what is that a reference to? Uh, if I had to guess, um, it's a uh, a sailing term. Yeah, by any means necessary. Blah, well, blah, I know blah, what it, I know what it what it fills in for, but like, what hooks and what crooks? You know. Yeah. Let's see. So you, you think sailing? Uh, nope, I'm wrong. Let's see. Do, 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 do. The origin of the phrase is obscure. Multiple explanations, no real evidence. Uh, one of them that has, means it, that means it's racist. Well, it is, but not for the reasons we think it is. Uh, one oh. of them has to be about uh, Cromwell's invasion of Ireland, and that he would conquer them by the village of Crook and by the water forward by Hook. So I'll take them by Hook or by Crook. Hmm. Uh, the other one that has to do with farming. And sheep herders, because you know, you have to pull down branches with the sheep with the shepherd's crook. Do you now? Oh, <laughs> are you now? Uh, but nope, nothing. So we're okay to say it, I guess, for now. Okay. Normally, yeah. whenever whenever I read or hear, oh, it's like debated. No one knows for sure where it came from. Usually, that's. It's racist, and we just don't want to admit that it's racist. Right, yeah. Uh, not this time. So, hey. Good times. Hey. <laughs> um, uh, so what are we talking about today besides weird uh, terms I know, I, of phrase? I don't know, because I was about to bring up another one, too, that you think is racist, and it ends up not being. What's um, that? I think it's the Jimmy Cracked Corn. Hey, it's Gable! Cable, you Hi. look like I feel. 
<laughs> Do I? Cool. Well, actually, no, I take it back. You're clearly uh, frustrated about something. At first, I thought you just looked sort of tired. I, al- <laughs> I almost told you, I almost like messaged you guys to say, I, I am this far from falling asleep. I think I need to cash out. Well, we can do a shorter show. <laughs> no, it's fine. Got... I'm here. I've, I've rallied at this point. Oh. Um, hi, everybody. Hi. Hi, Cable. You, nice you, you, you. you missed us delving into if there is a racist meeting by the phrase by hook or by crook. Uh, there's not. Because there's no definitive reason. It either has to do that uh, Oliver Cromwell would take Ireland through one of two villages or it's got to do with shepherds and their and their walking crooks to get branches out of the way for their sheep. Did you already look up the etymology of this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wait, who's cool. Oliver Cromwell again? Oh, he's Oliver a piece of shit. Cromwell, Cromwell, Lord, Lord Protector Lord of, of England. England, Puritan. Okay, so it's not exactly racist, but it is, but it is colonialism. I mean, back in the day, you probably would call it racist. Like the English flat out felt that the Irish were not humans. So, sure, sure. And is Waltz. I mean, and isn't racism just a subgenre of colonialism? I don't know. I don't know which one is the uh, is a subsection of the other. I, yeah. I don't know what the taxonomic chart is on that. They're both bad. Yes. Yeah. For Maybe. sure. Yeah, they're both they're both bad. I was trying to say something somewhat funny, but then I would feel bad for saying something funny about it. Uh, well, meanwhile, we have all made this comment before that only one good thing came out of colonialism, and that would be bon me sandwiches. Everything else can get stuffed. <laughs> I, I'm relatively sure that over. A millennia of history uh, involving colonialism. There's at least five things that we in the modern world are like. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm glad we have that. It's a shitty uh, way we got there, but it's probably all food related too. Like probably, you know, chimichurri. I'm sure that's that was probably that's one. Well, we've talked about how Europe it took away, uh, you know, like just like raided the rest of the world largely for spices, and yet all their food is terrible. Ah. Yeah, is, yeah. Except the Germans, I like their food. That whole Bavarian region, but I think it's because you put anything in tubed meat and fermented veggies, and I'm gonna like it. That's but that's a personal thing. <laughs> uh, well, also, in the chat. Did... Oh, go ahead. Uh, so second, in the chat says uh, colonialism. He thinks predates racism as we currently know it, and uh, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, and Norm from Texas says that um, let's put it this way: Cromwell is going to be in an upcoming episode of Behind the Bastards. Yeah, no, he's not a good person. And even <laughs> though the Monty Python song is hilarious, it does sing about all the horrible things he did. Yes, there, there's nothing flattering about Oliver Cromwell in the comedy song by Monty Python. No, but the song is still funny. The song is hilarious. <laughs> right. I, I knew a friend in college who aced a history test because of that song, because he sang it all the time and had all of those dates committed to memory because of it and passed that particular 
part of uh, history, Western history. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, chutney. Chutney is probably something that was pretty Ooh, good. Yeah, chutney is good. Yeah. Do you think India did not have chutney before the British? I don't know. Oh, they I always, have. I always believed chutney to be a strictly Indian um, offering. Yeah, well, I I, if we're talking about things like the banh mi, where it is the the spices and vegetables that you would find in in a lot of Vietnamese cooking, um, like cilantro and cilantro and um, jalapenos and uh, cucumber and, and spices and then particular styles of meat all in bread like that is both uh vietnamese and french influences yeah. combining mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah hmm. so the, that's that would be my metric of looking for the thing it's like where did they fuse together and go oh yeah all of this is awful but that right there mm, we wouldn't have got that Right. Oh, I know another right. one. What's that? That's not really colonialism. I think that's just Taco Bell. I was going to say burritos. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, hold on. Taco Bell did not, like, bring the burrito to America. They just made it cheaper across the street. Right, but, like, like a burrito is not, like, a traditional Mexican food. No, no. At the most, it's a rolled taco. But it is still glorious. Yes. Yes. Um, also, so, also and Taco and Bell stole hungry. Taco Bell stole all of that from a mom and pop shop. Yeah, right across the street. Yes, yeah, who are still there? <laughs> Good for them. Yeah, <sighs> fuck them. Anyway, we're going to talk about gunpowder milkshake and Loki finales. <laughs> <laughs> we promise this is not just another episode about colonialism v food. That's the only way I'm really comfortable talking about it. Talking about colonialism is uh, about food. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I feel like we should be able to talk about gunpowder milkshake without going Spoiling. long. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been a week. Mm-hmm. People have maybe seen it by now. I mean, yeah. And it's not the deepest movie that requires a lot of nuanced hot takes. No, it's true. It, There's no it, big reveals. It's, no. And any any sort of like surprising element is in the trailer. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I, I think we had to start with Gunpowder Milkshake, since that will be a pretty straightforward movie review. Whereas Loki, I think everybody has along. feelings about Loki. And yes. I, I don't know that we all have the same feelings about Loki. Oh no! I wish we'd have talked about it a little bit before the show. I, no, no, I'm glad we didn't. It should <laughs> it should come out in the wash. Uh, okay, we we'll all do it live. As if we all have variant takes on it. <laughs> all right. Well then, uh, any other any other bon me things before we we jump into milkshakes? Uh, other than they're a perfect sandwich. No. Mm. God damn the bon me. The bon me. The the classic Italian hoagie. Uh, and then a a Seven Eleven egg salad sandwich in Tokyo. Those are the three perfect sandwiches. And the French dip. There you go. Mm. 
I, I'm I'm going I judge to, every diner by their ability to make a good French dip. I judge diners by their ability to make Rubens. All right. That's probably that. a more discerning metric. That that's uh, my I'm metric. Not, I don't know. I'm not wild else's. about either of those types of sandwiches to be like no, if they can't make this right, then they're not good. I'm like, eh. So what's your sandwich? Yeah. You know what I really, really love? No. I mean, I haven't really put a lot of thought into this, but uh, since we were already talking sandwiches, the first thing that came to mind is a crispy chicken sandwich. Especially if they can make it a little bit spicy, but not too spicy because you don't, I don't, I don't know, spicy sandwich, not necessarily mm. what I'm going for. A good fluffy bun, nice and juicy sour pickles, mayonnaise, but not too much mayonnaise. I agree that those are delicious, but the more pedantic food person in me Mm -hmm. thinks that that falls more under the class, the the burger category than a sandwich category. A little bit. I suppose. What about like Burger King style where it's on the long bun? Um, well, that's just a weird uh, thing unto itself. <laughs> it's called the classic chicken sandwich. And I know so, most people don't like them, but I have a real dark, dark. Although that one's breaded and I don't mean breaded like that. I mean, like, like fried chicken style breaded, you know, well, like you'd get from Popeye's or Basilisk. But that's, I mean, that is, that's still the same thing. It's not breaded the same way, but it is still a breaded chicken. Sure. Versus sure. a, but they're different styles of breaded. True, but that there's the category of breaded and grilled. Mm-hmm. And, and grilled has no breading on it whatsoever. It is a boneless, skinless, and, and grilled with marks on it. Um, yeah. And then there's breaded, and then you can sub, you can judge the breading on its own. But that that's those are your two that you start with. I've sorry, I've been uh, working on. Uh, taxonomic classifications for uh warhammer so i have taxonomic breakdowns stuck in my head these days so i keep going to domain and kingdom and phylum <laughs> why no, do you do that for warhammer i support this uh, as a guide for our co-workers so that they can um better understand like only 40 percent of our staff plays warhammer actively um the rest of us, like, I don't play Warhammer. Everything I know about it, I've gained through osmosis of working there for nearly eight years. Right. And there is, like, Warhammer, like, Games Workshop is the the top because it's the company that makes it. Warhammer right. is the game. And then Warhammer splits into two where it splits into 40, 40K, 40K, which is all and... futuristic, and then Age of Sigmar, which is fantasy. Right. And then from there, you break down, like, 40k also breaks down into uh, Kill Team. It breaks down into Necromunda, um, whereas Age of Sigmar breaks down into Warcry, Underworlds, and God, God damn it, there's another. Oh, Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl is kind of neither one of those, but it still fits under Age of Sigmar because it's fantasy characters playing football. Because it's fantasy football, it's funny. Um, and then there's also. Uh, I think under the 40k line is uh, Aeronautica Imperialis, which is planes, which is meh. And then you get into the actual factions where it's chaos and and I'm sorry, I've gone down a rabbit hole. (laughs) No, no, I'm still bummed that they never brought back or supported more of Dreadfleet. 
that game was amazing looking. Oh, that to be fair, I don't even know if it played well. It was just gorgeous. What was that like? Fourth edition, fifth edition Warhammer. It came out in 2011. So, and that's the one that had like a skeleton pirate ship and a kraken pirate ship and like monsters that came out of the water. And oh, that would have been that that would have been in their fantasy line. Okay, Um, it was super limited, and I I almost am bummed I didn't buy one just to have one. There are some, there's uh, still some set pieces in Age of Sigmar that are um, nautical shipwrecks and uh, deepkin underwater beasts that are pretty neat. Yeah, this thing goes used for about 160 still. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) this is how we do. I think we're going to have to have a sandwich episode at some point. Well, remember a couple years ago, we this is so weird. A couple years ago, we toyed about talking about which mayonnaise made the best egg salad sandwich. We were going to get like Best Foods and QP and Dukes. I do remember. That was not that long ago. 2019 it, at the latest. Yes, it was 2019, which was 16 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> if you say so. Or six months ago. It's hard to tell anymore. Uh, I was just, I was in H Mart a few days ago walking past that section. And I was like, oh, that's right. We never did the egg salad sandwich challenge, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> that could be a live Patreon backers thing where they watch us taste test egg sandwiches. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to require sandwich. resources because you want them to be fresh. Right. And you're, they probably have to come from a variety of different places around town. So you have to hire people to. To get the, I know we can also do some of this work ourselves, but we need more than three people to go to all the different places, get the sandwiches from the different places, and then converge in one central location so that like we're reaching like maximum freshness on all sandwiches and then eat them. Oh, see, I thought I thought we were going to make them ourselves with very strict parameters, white bread only. Oh, Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, not not getting them from places. We're we're testing the which mayonnaise works better. Right, 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 right. Sorry, I said I'm tired. Um, you did. You're forgiven this. <laughs> yep. You did warn us. This is true. Mm-hmm. Um, um, should we jump into gunpowder milkshake before we do this? Let's, let's do talk this. Gunpowder milkshake. <laughs> All right. So this movie released on Netflix, and it occurs to me right at this moment that I don't actually know. Do they own it? Is, yes. it, is it there? Okay, cool. Netflix produced this movie. I believe it was originally intended for theatrical release. It was, um, and, and and they bought it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it was definitely, like, I remember seeing things about this in 2019, so it was supposed to have gotten a 2020 release. Mm-hmm. I think it overall is going to do much better in a mid-COVID world where people get to watch it in the comfort of their own home on Netflix for their Netflix subscription. I Mm -hmm. agree. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, gunpowder milkshake stars, uh, Karen Karen Gillen, Gillen, Karen Gillen, uh, as a, uh, a hired assassin who sort of crosses the wrong people slash ends up Sort of like like un, unwillingly rescuing uh, an eight year old girl uh, after her father dies, 
Um, and it well, has a. Go ahead. Just, I mean, I don't have a problem spoiling this. The movie's been out for a week now. Yeah. I, um, I, I think this needs to be a spoiler heavy. Yeah. Sure. And it's, so an she, early, it's an early reveal anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. And so she, her character, Sam, works for a company or works for a group called The Firm. Mm hmm. Which is very much trying to be the high table from John Wick. Now, the whole which, movie smacks of John Wickisms. Yeah, so. yeah, and I'll, we'll keep coming back to that. And it, she is sent on a job to kill a guy who stole whatever amount of money from the firm. Uh, right after she shoots him, he she finds out that he stole the money to get his daughter back, who's been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has guilt because of her own abandonment issues that are revealed in the opening scene. And she goes to make the exchange, but things go bad. The money is destroyed, but she refuses to give the kid up too. And the firm puts a hit on her. So she goes back to. Well, there's the a life- B plot that's involved in that too. Is right at the right before oh, the movie right. starts. Essentially, like we get dropped in, not exactly in media res, but we're getting information about the job that she just finished up where things also went south and she had to kill a bunch of people when she wasn't really supposed to. And one of them is the son of a very important Batman. Of, of the Russians, just referred to as the Russians. Mm-hmm. Um, just like how, you know, John Wick killed the son of the Russian for killing his dog. It's There's a lot of borrowed elements here. Yes. I mean, to be fair, these are elements that are that John Wick also borrowed. That's true. John Wick is also not wildly original. It is like we are following an assassin who is um, well-renowned in their field, very, mm-hmm. like extremely good at their job. There are established rules for who can assassinate who, who works for who, what grounds are safe grounds, um, aka the diner mm-hmm. and like, like you say one job goes wrong and that's what puts our um, protagonist into the role of from killer to the person trying to be killed right and then it's just a drama about whether they're not whether or not they're going to live um, and this movie was like like it the major difference with this movie is all of the leads are women. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which isn't going to give it a pass for me. Like. Okay. So let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's back up a little bit. Uh, and before we like get into it much further, what did everyone think? It's, I enjoyed it, it, Go ahead. Good. No, you go, go first. I was going to say I enjoyed the hell out of it. It, it, it. I got exactly what I expected out of it. I was not expecting an original story. I was expecting tropes, um, and I got them. Um, there are like it could have been better. It definitely could have been worse. It, it had like. It would have had f- further to fall if it was going to be a bad movie. Um, it had less of a climb if it was going to be a great movie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I was I, I was waiting to let Aaron go. Since oh, um, 
I, I, I did not think it was a very good movie. Mm-hmm. It was actually, yes, it has tropes, but a movie can have tropes and still do them well. Um, you know, Don Wick is nothing but one giant trope, but the story is good, so it works. And the care is taken in the fight scenes. Um, in the end, this movie actually frustrates me more than anything because it's wasting four amazing actors that are acting their butts off to sell a very weak script. Like, they are trying so hard to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, my other big beef is that, A, that director likes slow motion more than Zack Snyder. <laughs> and that gets old fast. Um, and the And I can forgive a lot if the choreography can really hold me and I don't think the fight scenes were shot very well. They're really shot for the edit. They don't let the fights play out. There were a few times I actually saw like the kicks and punches missed by like six inches. Like I like, I'm like, like, come on guys, you could do better than this. I did not catch uh, anything like that, but I, I will agree. I'm in the sort of in the middle ground with this movie. I I didn't hate it. I think it's exactly what you expect it to be. Uh, but with that being said, the fight choreography is by far the weakest element of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it just felt very stilted and un unnatural, like very stiff i don't know it's hard to even describe second to that is the dialogue out of a weak script the dialogue for me is always what like hurts it the most uh some of just just some of the the mannerisms the way they speak i can tell that they're really trying to like sell you a lot of backstory and a lot of lore about what this little universe is for these characters but it's it's just not well executed. But that being said, I still enjoyed it as a fun, tropey action movie that's all ladies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think that's part of what kind of bums me out. Because if you promise me, you know, choreographed fights and, you know, gun foo with Angela Bassett, Lena Headley, and Michelle fucking Yo. Karen Gillan is she's definitely getting up there in terms of physicality. Um, and Carla Gugino is is great, but she really doesn't have a big physical role in it, like as in like fighty punchy shooty shooty. She has one fight scene. She has one, yeah. which I I don't know that she's really known as much for that. She's not. That's yeah. why I thought her casting in that role was good. But if you're gonna, especially uh, Hetty Bassett and and Michelle Yeoh, like. It's like a cinematic crime to waste them. Sure. It, it, each one of those women uh, can and has held their own action flick before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I. Yeah. Um, Wait, what, sorry. What is Lena Headey in as an action role? She's um, not Robocop. Uh, no, I mean no, uh, but uh, I think Dread. Dread is an action role. I'm for sorry, her. that's uh, what I meant. Is Dread the Sarah because, Connor Chronicles? Sarah Connor Chronicles. Oh, which oh is I forgot she's in that because I never saw. Yeah. It. Yep. Um, okay, that's all. That's I just I was like, what she has? I, I assumed you meant uh, Dread, but I'm like, what? Well, she's not really action in that. She's in it, but she's not the action. No, but she's intimidating as fuck. She's oh, for terrifying. Sure. She Dread. was way more intimidating in in Dread than she is in this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh yeah. 
God, I adore her. In, I adore everyone in Dread, but <laughs> it's a really good movie. Yeah. Um, that's another element that I think makes this movie a little bit more like on the appreciation side versus like the dragging it side is when was the last time you got a mother daughter team up in something John Wick style or even like that? Not, it, it doesn't even have to be like that style of like gung fu or whatever, but just badass, you know, hired assassin, mom and daughter. Um, I don't know that we've ever. Yeah, I mean, I, not, I don't think I've ever seen that. Not really, no. Um, N- nor have we really seen the mother as the uh, abandoner. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I would argue we have kind of seen a mother daughter style relationship like that um, in um, Terminator Dark Fate, which I still feel is vastly underrated. I still need to watch that. Oh, so good. So I. Good. We, we've talked about watching it, but I, I think we were actually going to go through the whole motions of, let's start with Terminator and work our way all the way there. No, because uh, it, it's a sequel to Judgment Day and it ignores everything else. Like, it's... Good to know. That yeah, means I only have, have two movies to watch. <laughs> yeah. It, it, even Cameron's like, what other Terminator movies? Yeah, no, it's... Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> I'd... Like I didn't want to have to rewatch either of those because I... <laughs> no, they weren't good. No, I've never seen anything but past Judgment Day. Uh, if you get a chance, you can find it. Do seek out the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, I was ready to not like them because I'm like, this is stupid, and then I got like three episodes in and was like, this is really good. They're doing stuff that I didn't expect them to do. Um, I'm um, still pissed at. Uh... Fox, Joss Whedon, and um, Dollhouse. Yes. Because for the cancellation of Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah. And I've watched Dollhouse, and it's not that good. No, but Fox did not want to cancel yet another Joss Whedon series that was not doing well. Um, so they canceled Sarah Connor instead. Yeah. And then got another year of Dollhouse and went, oh, we canceled the wrong show. That's the worst yeah. part. That's yes. the worst part of Dollhouse. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway. I want to, like, I like, I enjoy uh, a couple of the actors from Dollhouse and their performances. Um, yes. Victor and the actors that play Victor and Sierra, um, who've also been in other Joss Whedon products and projects, uh, Goran something I, I can't pronounce we've talked name. about this before yeah. and yeah those, they're the strongest parts of that show those two actors are fantastic um yeah but the rest of it is garbage uh, yeah. especially up against um sarah connor chronicles that uh, yeah you're right aaron that show went places that i was not expecting yeah um and it whew, the entire performance that Shirley Manson gave <laughs> as a Terminator oh, was so good. Incredible. It was on par with everything that Lena Headey was doing as Sarah Connor. Yeah. So seek it out if you can. I don't know where it's streaming, but it's apparently on Hulu. Thank you, Bex. <laughs> I may revisit Super. that soon. I have Hulu. So, Fantastic. Um, so anyway, let's get back to let's get back to the librarians. Uh, I will say that set, the library set, is gorgeous. Yep. Yes. Uh, Especially the theme rooms. 
They're, they are really great. Although I have, I have one more complaint here is they really, at least in the trailers, they really sell the librarians as like, you know, that resource center for this underworld environment. And yet they, and, and they're on their home turf. Mm-hmm, and I, right. I recognize that they are super, super outmanned by the, the Russian goons. But they're supposed to be super badass, and yet they felt they the, the whole that whole uh, fights part of the the story. That all of the characters seemed really undergunned, um, except for yeah. Carla Gugino, who's got a fucking Gatling gun, and yet is the only she she does the poorest in in that fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And and me being super wanky about knowing that gun, that brick wall he hides behind was not going to protect him for very long. No. That gun goes right through that 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 um that wall. Also the fact that she took half her hair down before jumping on that gun makes negative sense. No. Um and then what that's also true. I also get again, if you cast well, Angela Bassett's not really known for her um, fighting. You know, her, her fighting and, and like in, in, you know, melee combat, I guess. But I guess I get like, on one hand, you're like, well, we've cast Michelle Yeoh. I want her in a fucking fight. And yet every trailer and even the bulk setup of these librarians is that those women are just packed to the gills with guns. So why are your two quote, what I opinion, like the two strongest librarians are fighting with a chain and a pair of hammers. Don't get me wrong. It looks badass. I it assume makes no the pro- I assume the goal was to have a cool alternative, you know, weapon fight scene, but it doesn't make sense no. logically. No, yeah. no, that all. is the same problem that I had. I'm like, yes, it was cool. Would not be the way someone like that would choose to fight three dozen men. I I think that. From from these criticism, which are valid criticisms, um, I think what the movie, what Gunpowder Milkshake did is it created a want for a different movie out of viewers that we have no idea whether or not we were ever going to get. And that is a, a movie with the librarians 10 years prior to this story. I'd watch that. Yeah, I would totally yeah. watch that. Um I, I'm kind of curious if we get. Well, I think they said they've greenlit a second movie already. Cool. There, there's a lot of backstory that gets hinted at or just barely touched upon. So I, I got the slight impression that uh, anime Angela Bassett's character and Scarlett Lena Headley's character were a bit more than friends at one point in their lives, and that's why another reason why anime is very pissed when she's like, "You just fucking abandoned us." Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe. you abandoned me. Yeah, she definitely see, is the most mad about it, uh, has taken it the most personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we keep talking about scenes that looked really cool or um, the, the outfits are great. Um, I love Michelle Yeoh in like that 1940s, 50s. That's a cool look for her. Yep. Mm-hmm. The, the vest and pants. Yep. 
it kind of reminds me of how she looked in one of the Ip Man movies, which is probably why I'm like, oh, super fast, sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Ip Man. Ip Man, that's so good. That's mm-hmm. so good. Um, but we keep talking about how cool this fight scene was or how cool they are. And I think in the end, for me, that's the biggest thing this movie created. It foregoes dialogue, story, everything that should drive a film uh, for being cool. It's like they saw, we keep coming back to it, but it's like they saw John Wick and only took away the cool stuff and didn't, even though it seems really basic, like there's a lot of character in those Wick movies, except for part three, which is why I have really problems with part three. They just kind of throw all that shit to the wind in favor of just being cool. And Gunpowder Milkshake just wants to be cool. Uh, like and this happens all the time remember like we saw this after the first Die Hard everyone wanted to be Die Hard mm-hmm. forgetting that as much as the action is fucking phenomenal Die Hard has believable characters it has a story that makes sense within its own set parameters so it works um, you can't just trap a person in a building and have them start taking out terrorists and say we've made a good movie you know, like alright you've made a movie but um that's where I fall in Gunpowder Milkshake. It's a huge, it's a, it's a big missed opportunity. With really talented women running the, in the, you know, in the mm-hmm. forefront of that show, that movie. Uh, I do agree with the, the part that uh, the early fight sequence in the bowling alley with uh, Karen Gillan and the other uh, and the goons mm-hmm. from the firm mm-hmm. um, is probably her weakest fight scene. I agree. Yeah, and it, it's definitely one of those. It's like, oh, you are not not quite there which me, like puts her in the realm of do you actually study any of this when you were not taking on a role like there right. are other action stars that that's all they they study this so they can be better and better action stars yeah and i, I don't know that she's there yet or does that um and i and I do agree because some of her fight scenes later are much more clean, it seems like. And either mm-hmm. it's because she becomes more comfortable in the role or I keep coming back to Michelle Yeoh, but she has been doing this for so long. How many times do you think the director or the fight choreographer kind of looked at her and went, how did that look? Or she, if she kind of like, you, you want some advice? Yeah. I mean, I know she's a pro and she would never say you're doing it wrong from everything I've ever read about her. But if you no. have that resource on set, yes. how do you not ask her? Yeah. What do you think? She is not a fight choreographer, but she has been doing this for 30 years. Right. At least, yeah. yeah. That's a hard maybe, though, because they don't actually have any fight scenes together. True, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's not on set the same time. Right. Right. That's why I'm like, it's a maybe. That would, that would require her to be on set when it's not her scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, the dentist's office was probably the strongest for, uh, for Karen Gillen. Which I, I liked. Uh, I agree with that. And I'm, I'm glad that it was also brightly lit. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, granted, the, 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 the lighting at the bowling alley was cool and all, but it actually, I think it like highlighted the poor quality of that choreography. And it made things did look stilted. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I, I pointed out when Merrick and I were watching, I, I pointed out that I think one of the other things that it both works in her favor and against her favor is Karen Gillan is five foot 10. Yeah. She's tall. She is. Yeah. She's very tall. She, uh, like she's tall, but she's tall for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So we are used to seeing fight scenes with women take place with men who were five foot 10 to six foot two and women who are five foot five. And that requires a completely different set of skills and jumping around and doing this where Gillen is looking these people head on. Yeah. She is the same height. So there's, I think that is something that is, is playing into the choreography fight choreography. Could be. Like, yeah. She's worked. only like, she's only a couple inches shorter than all the marble Chris's. Yep. You know? Definitely t- taller than RDJ. Yes. <laughs> it's funny. You can actually see it in Gunpowder Milkshake. You can see at times they're doing camera angles so that all the other women at least look close to her height, especially Lena Hetty. Mm-hmm. But there are times when the camera angle is not um, a forced perspective. And she's like six inches taller than a few of them, which, I mean, yeah. which is totally fine. But when you're trying to film her as in a way especially after she goes to the librarians for help in an almost weakened state where i need your help i can't do this um it 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 creates this weird thing instead of just instead of just being cool with him instead of just being cool with the fact that karen gillen is is 510 almost 511 yeah, just just be fine with that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, she's half a foot taller than her than her mom. Yes. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I I would have liked for this movie to have been better, like more, um, and definitely like to get a lot of attention because I really love Karen Gillan and she doesn't get a lot of leading roles and they don't always go that great when she does. And, uh, right. I want good things for her, I guess. But she's got to work like, you know, she's working towards it. She's, she's got to get better in her craft too. I think that, uh, her turn as Nebula in, um, guardians two and in Endgame have been some of her best major work. Um, I think she's fantastic in both Jumanji movies. Oh God, yes! She yes. walks that action she's scene hilarious. comedy. She's mm-hmm. great in those movies. She mm-hmm. really is. Um, also better action sequences. Yeah, no, they're really good. But those, mm-hmm. both those and Marvel movies, it's like you have a large stunt team mm-hmm. and wire work and a yeah. budget. And training. Mm-hmm. Um, although, like, now that we're talking about it, like, sh- I don't think her her performance in the first Guardians is particularly good. No, it, but so it's not supposed to be. Yeah, she's supposed to basically be a robot for the most part. Like, that's yep. how Nebula is presented in the first one. Um, and it shows. I think her, I think the, the biggest problem, it's not her, actually. I think it's so much speculation now. I think it's her agent and I think it's Hollywood. Like no one 
for lack of a better term, like every actor gets eventually known as they're the action person, they're the comedy person, they're the, mm-hmm. the drama person. And it's pretty rare that you're allowed to branch out. And even then you're allowed to branch out after you've done it so often that you have enough clout to be like, no, I, like the first time Robin Williams was serious mm-hmm. or was a like a villain once. And you're like, holy shit. Um, you know, or John Lithgow was photo. a villain. Oh my God, mm. the photo is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're always trying to put her in. Let's try her here. Let's try her at this. Let's try her in a she, comedy. Let's try her in a drama. She hasn't been pigeonholed. She doesn't get typecast. And while that can be good in terms of what sort of roles you can get, it can also mean you're never really honing in on your craft because you're always doing it in a different style. I yeah. I, I do think she's been pigeonholed. Yeah? I think Yeah. I think she is fallen into into the category of she's the redhead. Yeah. Oh, and that's a whole are, other conversation. And there redhead. are ten of them that you can go back and forth with, and mm. that's it. Um, I will add really quick: uh, the show she was in, Selfie, was vastly underrated. Yes, her and John Cho. I love that show. I, wish I, got, I thought you that. hadn't seen it yet. Oh, Cable has. I haven't seen it. I went back and saw it. Because uh, I heard I've, more things I've about it. I've also seen it twice. Well, I, I was like, this can't be good. Blah, 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 blah. And I got two episodes in and I hadn't even read the synopsis and stuff. It's like, wait a minute. This is my fair lady. Yes. Oh, yeah, that, really I, cool. that I knew. I've never seen it and I could tell. That is probably to date my favorite thing she's ever done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yes, that includes Doctor Who. That's something else. I think when Doctor Who is your breakout role, it takes a long time to shake that. Yep. Because your primary fan base only wants you to be in the world of timey-wimey for a long, long time. Yep. Um, and and, and that she can still, be rough. She still does a lot of genre work, but like, she's done horror, she's done drama, she's done comedy, she's done um, action, and she keeps getting more and more action. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I think also is that pigeonhole of, well, she's also tall. Right. It's also like a, a budding genre is the female action star. So, mm-hmm. you know what? Put her in a gritty period action horror movie in like Dark Age of Scotland where she fights some fucking demon that overruns a village. Like she's like the, she's like the first born whatever witch thing <laughs> and it's the, what you know what it is it's a fucking it's a cromwell i don't know like put her in that five million dollar yep. budget elijah wood produces it coming from a twenty four. yeah this was a 24 write that fucking movie <laughs> yeah do it gunpowder milkshake was a 24 what i thought i don't is think it, so is it not I no. didn't. I don't remember knowing that or having heard it. So, no do studio you... canal. Oh, okay. Who also do kind of? Uh huh. Studio Studio Canal is is a uh, they do wanky, but they have also done two of the legitimately most wholesome, wonderful, beautiful, emotional films ever made. And I'm saying is that a shred of irony? That would be Paddington and Paddington 2. <laughs> you could laugh 
Paddington 2 is a perfect film. That's what people keep saying. It I haven't is seen it. Beautiful. It is wonderful. It is fucking wonderful. I think I keep not watching it because I'm like, I don't want an animated thing to just make me start sobbing. It will do that. You'll go like, oh no, it's I've been Legit. fine crying at animated movies ever since the Iron Giants. So that's man. true. I don't know why I prefaced it with animated. I, I I just haven't been in the mood to sob. I just don't want to cry. That's fair. from by any movie. Um, I never am either, and I never get my way. So I realize, like, I realize how much that probably says about my current mental health state than I think I'm in. Versus oh. the mental health state I think I'm in. That I'm like, I don't want to cry right now. <laughs> Again, we're all living in a mid-COVID world. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like I'm a, I'm a kind of a negative on Gunpowder Milkshake. It seems mm-hmm. like Denise, you're kind of a, it's a movie and Cable seems to like it more than not, the, the two of us. I, 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 I say watch it. I say people, if you haven't already, you should watch it. Uh, yeah, I, I give it a 6.5 on a scale of 10. Like I said, I think it's got less of a climb to be a better movie than it does a fall to be a worse movie. Or it's got a longer fall. Um, and I think people should watch it and see what they think of it themselves. Yeah, I mean, never fucking be like, well, Aaron says to not watch it, so I'm not going to. Like, Don't do that. I'm, a, I'm an idiot. Oh, I mean, I'm not an idiot, but... You're not an idiot. Uh, this Friday, Snake Eyes. It's this Friday? Yeah. Oh man, I don't know that I was. I don't know that I'm ready to go back to a theater this soon. But fuck, I want to watch that movie. I want to watch that movie bad. Yeah, this not Friday like Shang Chi bad, but it's it's up there. This Friday is Snake Eyes. Uh, next Friday is The Green Knight. Hmm. Which I'm super pumped for. I don't know what that is. It's our. You've seen the legend. trailer, yeah. You've seen the trailer, and you were like, "I need this movie now." Why well, don't I remember that then? That's okay. We don't have to keep talking about it right yeah, now. I'll just look it up. Because uh, now it's time for Loki, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I said it like that. Oh, that's why. Been watching all that Wellington Paranormal. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have watched any of it yet. There's three yeah. episodes out now. It's so fun. God damn it, and then August 6th is the Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah, man. that's going to be good. Shit is happening. Yeah. Commercial break time. First up, Guardian Games, our longest sponsor. Find them at 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. They literally could not be easier to find. They're probably one of the easiest shops to find in this entire city. Because, like, you can drive, bike, walk, bus, and there's, like, a streetcar stop, I think... Maybe a block away, uh, like as you know, as the try goes ring ring. I'm not singing that song anyway. As soon as you get off the streetcar, like there it is, Whoa! Guardian Games. So you don't have any excuse for not popping in if you live in Portland. I guess if you don't, then there's your excuse. But they have every kind of gaming item you you might want. Um, you know, for miniatures and dice games to card games that are both collectible and just you know you're kind of locked in deck building games. Every kind of RPG. Um, they actually have a lot of like solo play RPG books now. And I know if that like sounds boring, like it's not. A lot of them, like 
you know, get you to like, you know, write within the books or create your own story with it. I've been exploring a lot of the mechanics of the solo RPG book and they're pretty dang fascinating. And Guardian Games has a wide selection of them. So check them out. 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. They are Guardian Games. And when you're there, as always, thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. Just like our buddy, buddies, <laughs> at uh, Bridge City Comics. Uh, they are one of the finest comic book shops in the city. Uh, recently voted as the best family-friendly comic book shop because their comics range f- from all ages. Uh, um, for you know, for folks who can't even read yet, just 100% picture-driven stories to the most dense, written in five-point font Alan Moore graphic novel. Um, <laughs> you know, they have it all from for all ages, for all genres. Bridge City Comics has it. Um, because comics are not just, you know, superheroes or, or whatever. You know the spiel over a thousand times. It is a medium, not a genre. Um, so, yeah, go and check it out. They've got a lot of great books there. If they don't have it and it's still in print, ask them to order it for you. They will hook you up with that for sure. And, again, when you're there at 3725 North Mississippi Avenue, thank them for being such a longtime sponsor of Bridge City. <laughs> no, of Geek in the City Radio. Um, and then before we get back to it, a uh, big shout out to Rev Nats of Rev Nats Hard Cider for giving us equipment so we can keep recording these shows while we're in separate locations. And, uh, also congrats to him. Uh, Rev Nats Cider just won the best beer slash alcohol delivery service for 2020 in Portland. So woohoo, that's fantastic. Which reminds me, I need to place an order for some more Rev Nats. Uh, but a big thanks to them for helping us out while we're still recording separately and having access to great equipment. And with that, let's get back to the show. Okay, so yeah. Loki, <laughs> season finale for all time. Always. Yes. Uh how about you guys go first? <laughs> um I I will one hundred percent say that uh the biggest surprise to me was at the end of the episode with the words, Loki will return in season two of Loki. What the fuck? I that, yeah. I was not expecting a season two out of any of the shows that we've had so far. This right. was not the show that I thought was going to get a season two. This uh, whole time we've been under the uh, under the impression that all of these... Marvel TV shows are sort of bridging the gap between these Marvel movie phases. They're just one-offs, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. I, I also was not totally expecting it, but then like once you, if you watch it a second time, of course that's what's happening. You got Renslayer yeah. walking off going like, I'm going to go find free will. And then just like all the, all everything that's left unfinished between Loki and Sylvie. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the I will admit that I, I'll admit that I kind, I kind of knew because I know someone who knows someone who worked on the set, and they're like, "Oh yeah, and we're they're already in pre-production. I'm gonna be working on the set for season two. And I was like, "But what?" They're like, "Oh, uh, you didn't hear that." Please, for the love of God, don't say anything. <laughs> well, now you can say something. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. And, and he did. I did. <laughs> um, did you guys expect? 
what did you expect to find when they went through that gateway and into the citadel? Um, not, not Miss Minutes. <laughs> she had I to go deal. She had to go deal with something. Was That's right. I wasn't expecting, expecting Miss Minutes. Mm. Yeah. Like I wasn't scared by Miss Minutes. Like apparently a fraction of the internet was when they're watching. They were legitimately scare startled by her sudden appearance. It's like, <laughs> really? I wasn't expecting her, but I wasn't frightened of her. No. <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting that set design, which I thought was gorgeous. It was very nice. Um, and I, again, forget the, the word, but there is a... Uh, Technique in, with broken ceramics to mend them with gold. It's a Japanese word. Don't remember what it is. Yes. But that's what the enti- yes. It's what the entire set felt like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's right. Black stone with like almost gold marbling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is probably more of what it was, but to me it it spoke more to being something that was cracked and broken and always put back together to differently, but still in a way that, that made it beautiful. Right. Um, yes, it was, it, it was a gorgeous set. I will give it that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, go ahead. I didn't know. Oh, any- go ahead before I, I start doing my, um, my complaining. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, like, over the course of this series, we've been talking about like what what this what this show is here to represent or help us dissect. Like with one division, it was grief and despair, and with um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's like the like the systemic racism and um just all the like, different like social injustices. Uh, so it was a little bit more global. Um, I think at one point I even sort of compared it to being like the five stages of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not prepared for this episode to be so much about the relationship or, or, or even just the dynamic between Loki and Sylvie and like, two people who are in theory the same and clearly have fond feelings for each other now faced with, you know, the same two options and how differently they're viewing it and how, and how it tears them apart. And, and the phrase like, you know, she's like, why, why don't, why can't you see this the way that I do? Because you, because you don't know how to trust and I can't be trusted was so so personal i wasn't expecting the finale to be such a such an inward thing for the two characters i was expecting it to be more about universe multiverses and timelines and i mean it is the reason they ended up there is because of that but the way things play out has so much less to do with time and reality and it just really boils down to those two characters and who they are who they thought they maybe could be you know because of each other and how that all just sort of fell apart when push came to shove Mm -hmm. yeah yes 
<laughs> Again, like maybe that's one of those interpretations that says more about me than it does about the show. But uh, I was not ready for it. I think that's I, I think that's also a fair assessment of the episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Of, of the relationships between the two. Um, I watched over the, the course of the weekend, I've watched Avengers, Dark World, and uh, Infinity Gauntlet again. And largely to get the sense of the Loki that we have seen in Loki, even though he's taken from the timeline in uh, the first Avengers movie. Right. And that he still shows growth and uh, like uh, emotional range is decidedly different than the um, sacred timeline Loki. Yeah. Which like made me increase my appreciation of what Hiddleston has been doing with the character. Uh, given that this Loki by no means should have this amount of screen time in the entire MCU. And yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's really helped by, by Hiddleston. Yeah. Uh, I guess he went on record a few days ago saying he will play Loki as long as Marvel wants him to. He apparently adores playing this character. Well, and, like, and I, it shows. Yeah. I think the fact that he's never played him the same yeah. helps. Like there are some core beliefs that he sticks to with Loki, but Loki in Dark World is different than Loki in uh, Ragnarok, is different than Loki in Infinity Gauntlet, um, is definitely different than Loki in Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's really gotten to kind of show what how much range you can actually put into a comic book character yeah whether it be hero or villain um on screen taking it from its original source material yeah um i also read the wikipedia entry on the character that's later revealed in loki and because I've been saying, I've almost said from like episode two, I think the person in the behind all this is going to be in a Loki. I was totally wrong, totally fine with that. <laughs> but uh, again, I like making theories and being wrong about them because that's fun. Um, I, I'm not going to get mad on the internet about the fact that no, they, they tricked us, they were going to do this. After reading the Wikipedia on Kang, there was no way in hell this show was not going to end with Kang. <laughs> At all. Zero. Zero Ooh. chance. Everything about Kang and Kang's backstory is peppered throughout Loki. But the problem is that that requires knowledge. It requires that reveal was more important to Marvel comic fans than MCU fans. I, I don't believe that. I, I think it is now, but I, in two years' time, I don't think that's going to be the case. Well, no, that doesn't count, because we're reviewing it as of right now. It's just like when you say, like, well, when you read this story afterwards or you see this movie later, it can enhance it, but mm-hmm. 
that still means your initial story is not as strong as it could be. And see, I had a glimpse that you did not think this was a strong story. I like Loki's story a lot. Mm -hmm. I actually really enjoyed the path that Loki gets. I think we get some really great character development. Um, I I like his... um, I like where he's at by the end of it. Um, I don't fully buy Sylvie's kind of slight heel turn. Um, I don't look at it as a heel turn. I'll let you finish, but I want to dissect that more. Well, maybe I think it's that they spend almost three episodes getting her to. start to trust Mm -hmm. and by the end like Loki's not lying to her he even tells her like I know like I am the god of mischief also but what if he's right like what it's a I think she just kind of snaps back into oh everyone's going to betray me again that's just because you feel like you can start to trust somebody you know, after years of not having anyone you can be close to or rely on, doesn't mean that you can't eat. I mean, like you're you're very one is very very likely to snap right back into a self defensive mode when shit hits the fan, and it did. Like she she had it set in her mind that she was going to take down whoever was on the other end of the Elias, and nothing he could do would convince her, and because her mind could not be changed and Loki was not on her side, that breaks the fragile, barely forming trust that she was building. That makes total sense to me. Uh, I think where I come from, from it is a, before we get their fight scene, which I feel like they did just because they needed to have a fight scene because we got 10 fucking minutes of exposition in a series finale. Like, I was having flashbacks to the first Silent Hill movie. They're like, okay, now we have to explain (laughs) the entire movie in a 10-minute flashback. Um, Which, from storytelling, that drives me nuts. If you then require that much exhibition at the very end to explain the villain's villain's motivations. Look, I like the series. I just felt like I feel, from a slight story end, we got a little duped. This is, in the end, not Loki's journey, but the story was a six-episode prequel to Phase 4. And it can do that, but I need the story to still serve itself. And in the end, it didn't fully serve itself for my tastes. I like Hmm. Loki's path. Um, I do love the twist at the very end, um, that when he gets back to the TVA, like, it's like chaos now reigns. I love the potential it sets up. That makes everything that has ever been filmed for Marvel canon. Like everything. Mm-hmm. The 70s shows, the fucking Roger Corman Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. That lets you bring in the Netflix shows because now mm-hmm. if your multiverse explodes, then everything becomes canon. So it opens up story elements, but I wanted the story to serve itself not as a here's how we kind of make the MCU more approachable in the future. Uh, yeah, and I, I, for my tastes, I felt it did both of those things. I feel like I, I got... 
I, 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 and I get that this is, you're coming at this from a storytelling. You are a storyteller. And this Annoyingly is not how, so. <laughs> yes. And this is not how you would have told that story. Um, I, not that I'm not a storyteller, but I'm not a professional one the way you are. Um, and for me, this, I, I did feel satisfied with both the story of the show Loki and the story of Loki himself. Like it, like his path of showing people, it's like you, you, um, the only way to uh, counter narcissism is with radical self-love. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I like that a lot. Yeah, it, that's incredible. And I feel that he's now in a position that doing a season two, it's like, oh, okay. Loki is now, everyone guided Loki to where he is now. He's now going to be the guide for everyone else to help them get there. Um, I think that uh, what you were talking about with Sylvie and her story, I, I didn't see it as a heel turn either. I saw basically because immediately after she commits the act of uh, killing he who survives, all you see on her face is regret. It's the crap. I made the wrong decision. I just made the wrong decision and there is nothing I can do about it now. Sure. I can see that. And, and I think that's going to that knowing now that there's a season two, it's like, okay, that's a, that's going to be an interesting way that your story is now going to go. Um, yeah, but, hmm. I don't know. It's hard for me to put into words. I just lost some of her depth in that scene. I uh, I thought it was exactly right. Uh, I, to, I, to me, like I, I, yeah. I, it made sense to me. Like you, you, her entire life is nothing but like pain and suffering and loneliness, and she traces it back to this dude. He had that whole spiel explaining everything and Loki believed it. And Loki's a pretty cynical dude as far as like I've ever seen. And she was like, I believe him. I I think we need to like think this through before we make, you know, like before we act on any irreversible changes. And Mm -hmm. she didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear it. But yes, as soon as she did the thing that she was so determined to do, that's when realization like really comes into play again that's that's to me that's something that's 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 really real and relatable as a human and so i don't know it made sense to me Um, i guess i guess it's part of it is that she's been playing this long game for so long i think she falls for i think she falls for kang's trick i think kang wants to die yes still be lost yeah like he beat her when he died, he beat her. I, I did appreciate his the. I don't. It just bugged me. I don't know why. Yeah, the, there were lots of about that scene that I just really enjoyed. Like you talked about the fact that it's full of it's ten minutes of exposition, and yet at the same time, I was mesmerized by it. Well, that's because of Jonathan Majors, who just only thing he chewed more than the scenery was that fucking <laughs> apple, man. He. He was He's brilliant great. in this. It, it's not just him. Like it was also the way it was shot, mm-hmm. the ebb and flow, camera work, where it was like close up on him, 
then back again to like we're seeing between Loki and Sylvie, then close back just the, and how it felt like the ebb and flow of time. Um, the, yeah, there was a, a lot going on in that scene that wasn't just the exposition and, and, you're right. It was uh, Jonathan Majors is his name. Yeah, I still have to watch Lovecraft Country. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah his yeah. delivery was fantastic. I thought the camera work was great. The set was fantastic. Like everything that was going on, just kind of like it definitely one hundred percent held my attention. I'm like, yes, go on. Uh huh. Tell me, tell me everything. <laughs> and you know what's funny about that is, like, speaking of tropes, I don't think that there's there. As a concept, it's not wildly original. The idea of like this, like magical, but also like very quiet and solitary place that is separate from time. What? What have I done? What have I said? You said magical, and I, I think Aaron and I both heard the same phrase in our head. <laughs> oh, I don't think I was laughing at something that Norman posted that I'll bring up here in a minute because I did okay. oh. this too. <laughs> good, yeah. good. Um, and then the, the guy inside the castle is like a little bit of a madman, and he's leaving you with this sort of like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, two choices you can make here. Yeah. Not super, super original, but the way it was performed and edited and like the scenery, all of that was, it was just like this like perfect, like you said, it, it, it really, really works. Yeah. Um, Norman posted, uh, Mark Bernardin gave this in his review. Loki is really about the story of the ultimate Karen going through time and space to speak to the manager. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, although I think that that uh, like diminishes Sylvie's character. You, you've got to hear the whole episode. That's just like a joke he makes about it. I'm sure it is. No, and I, and, and he, it is funny. And he added on to it, it when the fact that the, that the man, that, that it's a, a white woman and the manager is a black man. That she then has to kill to get her way. You know, I did see other headlines about how it's kind of really messed up that there are so many um, in the TVA. A lot of the workers there are people of Af- African descent, mm-hmm. and they're all being held there against their will, basically. And, and I almost wonder. I'm like, maybe that was on purpose. Maybe that's like a little bit of like a subtle message. That's entirely possible. Like, I wouldn't put it past them. Given how much time and effort was put into designing what the TVA looked like physically, (laughs) like, we want brutalist architecture. We want this to feel like it is out of time, even though you can pinpoint what time period that is. Mm -hmm. Right. Um. I still like Adam Roscoe's take on it where he's like, I, I can't watch Loki because the first set of shot of the TVA, it's like, I can, I can smell it. I, I went to elementary school in that. I can't, I can't watch this. It makes me physically sick. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay. It was a little dramatic, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not uh, touching that. Yep. Yeah, never mind. Um, I do like this bit of trivia that uh, apparently when they cast Owen Wilson as Mobius, mm-hmm. they're like, uh, 
go ahead and like read some comics and brush up on the character. And Tom Hiddleston was like, no, no, no. Let me just talk to him about it. I'll just tell him <laughs> everything myself. So apparently all of Owen Wilson's knowledge of the MCU came from Tom Hiddleston. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Yeah. Who again okay. just like I, mean, I guess I don't I, I don't I don't know how much of a mischievous archetype Tom Hiddleston is in real life, but you know, like in this context, that's all I can picture. And I just, just like just picturing Tom Hiddleston like setting up Owen Wilson to I don't know, just for some something that'll be hilariously embarrassing or something. Obviously I, that didn't happen as far as we know, but that's just what's in my brain. Yeah. Uh Bex brought up something that I was actually also going to bring up. Um, there's a, a TikTok video uh, going around that the moment that um, he who he who remains um, mm-hmm. has stops and starts looking around like this is it. This is it, when he says this is the threshold. Um, since we have absolutely no idea how long Loki has been at the TVA since time passes differently there. The theory that's being postulated is the threshold moment that the, that um, he, he who remains is talking about is Wanda's transformation from being Wanda to finally coming into the power of being the Scarlet Witch. Oh, it's a cool video. It, it, like, like, yeah, that, that would be cool. Yeah. I don't know that that's meh. I yeah, did appreciate cool. that it, he pointed out that like eons ago in the 31st century mm-hmm. is when they discovered multiverses yeah. existed. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the things went downhill from there. Yeah, Kang's mm-hmm. been around a while. Wait, wait. So I'm confused. Is is Kang and He Who Remains the same character? Is that just a different name for the same guy? Or they're okay. trying to be coy. It's Kang. Okay. Yes. I don't I, because I don't know much about them about Marvel outside of the movies. And I, I'm like I don't fucking. I believe know there was Kang a time in I'm, the seventies. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't. I, I don't know that much about. I don't know who Kang is. What he looks like. Like maybe that was his like classic outfit that that jonathan majors was wearing when i wouldn't have no but he's it. wearing the purple and green kang kind of dresses like the joker but with a mask gotcha uh, and that's what saying like cable was saying like the whole series is rife with kang references so that like you know it's happening could not name you one of those references so it's all so some of it is out of context for me even after yeah. i've seen it the timekeepers are a reference to kang ravona renslayer is a reference to kang I did find out that she exists in in mm-hmm. the Marvel universe, and so does Mobius. Yeah. But that's that's really all I got. So is uh, the phrase "He who remains." Kang calls himself that yep. during a gotcha. period in the seventies. But it's like Kang, he who remains, uh, the Conqueror, Immortus, uh, Rama Tut. Is that those are all Kang? Yeah. Like Kang has uh, um, he's even been oh, God damn. What was his superhero name? When he was with the Young Avengers, <laughs> uh, which again, that. another Young Avengers <laughs> thing, like Kang has been crossing back and forth through time for millennia, and even has been it like reading his Wikipedia was it's- very confusing 
And I imagine that it was only slightly less confusing than actually reading the comics that they produced. <laughs> yeah, it's what happens when you're a time-based villain. That shit mm-hmm. gets weird. Right, right. Um, that, that's, that, and that makes sense. I feel like for a while he's Iron Lad in Young Avengers. That's it. That was who he is. Yeah. Yeah, this would be uh, akin to Doctor Who would show up and go, my backstory is a little convoluted as I'm a time traveler. And Kang would come up and go, that's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's right, because in the comics, uh, Ravona becomes uh, the Terminatrix. Yes. Mm. Is that before or after she's killed? <laughs> After she's killed, after, after Kang killed. sacrifices her, yeah, oh. yeah. And this oh. is all of the comics, so it, wibbly this... wobbly timey wimey. It's all yeah. over and the I place. don't, I don't. I mean, maybe somebody mentioned it in passing, and I already forgot. But I did not think that the TVA was something that already existed in Marvel. Also, mm-hmm. yeah. I can't think of anything in the current MCU. That was 100% original. It's almost all canon-based. Other than the Infinity Gauntlet was only five stones, right? Because he's got... Not six. Was it always six? Yeah. All, okay. all five fingers and then the center of the hand. But okay. they were they were always gems. Right. Yeah, stone is... Uh, they're called stones for the MCU. They're called gems in the comic. Yeah. And he was um, not trying to just wipe out half the universe. It was specifically... He was trying to wipe out half the universe to impress death because he has a crush on her. Yeah, no. In the comics, I mean, one of the reasons why he is the Mad Titans, he's literally believes he's been put in the friend zone by death. So he's like, I'm going to kill half the universe to prove to her that... She should love me, forgetting that death cannot love anyone, because death is a neutral existence of nature. Mm-hmm. Death don't give a fuck. And in the comics, is literally just a woman skeleton in a black robe. Yep. So the dude's got a thing for skeletons, apparently. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that weird? Is that not okay? <laughs> no, it's fine, Bean. You're fine. I, I have to say that, honestly... <laughs> After uh, Jonathan Major's performance as he uh, he who remains in this episode um, and understanding what this now means for the rest of the MCU, I was excited by his appearance as much as I was excited by the brief cameo of uh, Thanos in the original Avengers. Yeah. And, and it does make me excited for the MCU in a way that I haven't been in a while. Like I've I've been excited, but now it's like, oh shit! That means that my thought, like I thought, what if was going to be our break? Because I thought, oh good, it's I've read what if comics. They're just always they're what literally you? what if uh, Spider Man had the super soldier serum? What if uh, yeah, Betty Ross had been the Hulk? Like that that's the whole concept of it. It's just fun yeah. one offs, and I thought that is exactly what the series is going to be and now after the end of loki it's like no it's not no those are all multiverses now yep and 100 and the last trailer i saw for it is it's dr strange traversing them yeah yeah 
So yeah, this, I mean, this is a prequel to all of the multiverse shit. I'm excited when, like, either DC or Marvel, everyone knows, I get excited when they start throwing the weird shit at me. So I'm like, oh, all right. Um, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Feige has said that for the foreseeable future, Marvel is done doing the 10-year epic. They're all connected. No more long contracts. Yeah, exactly. That's so what it is. this allows them to kind of like, all right, we can only get this these performers for one or two movies, so here we go. What do you want to do? do that now? Yeah. Um, well, I'm hoping we how... get more Jonathan Majors in the next season, whenever that comes. We get more Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror in um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Oh, that's yeah. right. You said he's the villain in that. So, And I bet you we get him in a couple of post-credit scenes, too. Oh, yeah. You know? At this point, yes. Yeah. Um, I expect him to show up in the Eternals. I expect him to show up at the end of Spider-Man. I definitely expect to see him in Doctor Strange. Yeah. Maybe not the end of Shang-Chi. I don't know what their little... I don't... Uh, I think Shang-Chi, if we get a post-credits, is going to be Eternals or Doctor Strange. That seems most likely. You know what I want it to be? Blade? No, that'd be dope as fuck, though. <laughs> no, they don't, have a, they don't even have a script for that yet. I don't care. Uh, they have shoot, an actor. Just put Marshali Ali in the suit. And... <laughs> yep. Oh, look yeah. At look at that motherfucker trying to ice skate uphill. Um, no, I want... They'd have to be doing some secret casting... Um, I, I want a hint at Agents of Atlas. Yeah, see? Yep. Yeah. Especially yep. if you can have, like, um, oh, man. Yeah, if you could I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, if you could have like an actor playing Jimmy Woo, like almost do the same thing that Samuel L. Jackson did at the end of Iron Man. I am Iron Man. Let me talk to you about something called the Avengers Initiative. I would love Johnny Woo to, uh, to, you, um, you mean Randall Jimmy Park? Sorry, yeah, hmm? you mean Wait. Randall Park? Right, Jimmy Woo is, was all, yeah, he's Jimmy- fucking in it, huh? Yeah, Jimmy oh, was, Why am I? He was in WandaVision. In it. <laughs> so I want him to show up because he's always been known as like the goofy agent kind of thing. Yep. So I want him to show up and be like um, putting together my own little team and have Shang-Chi kind of like, whatever, I know who you are. You're that dork who shows up on the TV when after the Avengers blow something up. And have Jimmy say, yeah, okay. And then Here's I literally guard. open... Oh, that, that does the thing, and it's literally that Captain America first Avenger scene where he's spinning in New York, looking at it, mm-hmm. and Shang Chi spinning around, and you've got Godiva like naked, but her hair covering everywhere, um, a weird ass robot, and then from behind Shang Chi, you hear, "Hey, buddy!" And you turn around, and it's a fucking gorilla chomping a cigar, putting his hand out to shake his hand, and have it say like Shang Chi will see you again in the Agents of Atlas. Yeah, I lose my mind. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That one would be that would be fantastic. I think 
I haven't seen or heard anything about Randall Park being in Shang-Chi, which is dumb. Like, eh, okay. Yeah, that's true, but, you know. Like, it's the movie that you put all your other Asians in. <laughs> Sometimes you got to keep your powder dry if you want to pull off that surprise, though. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. So. Ooh. Still, it was a satisfying ending for me. My minor quips aside. Mm-hmm. I, I, am, I am now excited for a season two. Yeah. Um, and I, I still think that season two is not where we're going to see Loki next. I believe the exact wording was Lo- Loki will be back in season two. Yes. That is not the same as next. You'll see him next. Right. The, there's also, as Merrick pointed out, it's like, we just watched an entire show where there was more than one Loki. So there is nothing saying that Loki means Tom Hiddleston will return. Very in Loki good season point. Two. Right. It's like, oh, that yeah. That being said, I do think he shows up in uh, Doctor Strange at one time. Yeah. Even if it's just for a weird, like, snarky bit while things are jumping around. Oh, right, because this Loki has not met Doctor Strange. Correct. Nope. Yeah, so that gives Doctor Strange that moment of, like, remember, you fell into my living room. I there have been you falling for 30 <laughs> minutes! <laughs> Love that line. Love that delivery. <laughs> yeah, that one, he's like, I'm not dressed, I'm not a witch. Why do you dress like one? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I may watch that tonight. I may watch some Ragnarok tonight. That's a that's a reasonable thing to watch. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the show, right? Yeah. I think so. Noise. I think next week should be a couple episodes of Bad Batch. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we actually talk about things that don't come out of Disney+. Plus. You guys want to talk about Fear Street? Is if, it just one movie right now? No, it's three. It's all three. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're all on the shortish side, though, as far as features go. I I think when I do watch them, that yes, I want to review them. I might want to call in a guest. Oh, I wonder uh, who. Um, not who you're thinking. <laughs> well, we should definitely talk about that then. Oh, okay. Yeah. That'd be cool. Cool. And, All right. for, and for the listeners, there you go. We're telling you in advance that we're planning on talking about Fear Street theoretically yeah. in the near future. So if you don't want uh, spoilers or have to miss the show, you should try to watch it soon also. You should just try to watch it soon anyway. Yeah, it's uh, it's on Netflix. So if you have a Netflix account or, or yeah. borrowing someone else's Netflix account, it's three movies. Uh, starts in the 90s, goes to the 70s, and then to 1666. 19, 1996, 1774, mm-hmm. and then 1666. 1974. Not 1774. Sorry, yes, 1919, 16. Yep. And they all feed directly I mean, together, so it's... I don't, don't know if like... I can pull off three movies by next week. Yeah, see, that that's just it. I, I think that's... I'm a couple of weeks out for that. I've got an official 
like uh, DM's Guild adventure I have to finish to publish, which is cool. And uh, I officially landed that uh, game writing gig that I had to be super coy about for like a month. Huzzah! Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. With like a one week turnaround. That's not that bad though. It's not that. It'll it'll be very doable in a week. So it's just good. Reasonable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, with all that said, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Ben Rita. And I'm Cable Hashizani. And we will talk to everybody next week. Bye, everybody. We're huge. Don't change. Don't change.